to motivate westerns to inspire get it play it drink it welcome everyone to our second whiskey and westerns on wednesday pod show my name is mike king and i am a producer and writer of wild west podcast Today we have a very special show in store for you. But before we get started, I would like to introduce Brad Smalley. Brad is a Dodge City historian. He has also appeared on several episodes of the American History Channel TV series, Gunslingers. Brad, today is a very special day in American history, and our story about the 4th of July in 1884 could not be told without taking a sip a patriotic whiskey. So what whiskey have you selected for us today on Independence Day? Well, before I tell you the label on that, I got to say, Mike, that patriotic whiskey, that's damn near the same word. <laughs> uh, there, there's nothing more, more American than a good bourbon. Oh, I agree. Yes. And today we are drinking a good bourbon. Uh, it's Lead Slingers. Lead Slingers bourbon. Uh, it's relatively... New to the market, I think the bourbon came out in 2013, I believe. So lead slinger, that's kind of like slinging lead across the country, like maybe it coming out of the barrel of a gun. Well, that's that's how we got to this country. We did sort of fight a war. <laughs> uh, well, we fought several of them, I think. We, we, yep. we did. Uh, and right here on the bottle, we've got the, uh, got the eagle carrying a machine gun. With the American flag, that's that's about as American as you can get right there. Oh, I'd say so. Uh, Lead Slingers was actually started by seven combat veterans. Uh, several of them were special forces, actually. Uh, I think there's at least a Green Beret and a Ranger in there somewhere. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was their idea. They wanted to create a whiskey as American as, as they were. Uh, it is... A bottle of Bill of, bottle. Excuse me. It's a bottle of the Bill of Rights. So oh, I'll say there it that you way. go. There yeah. you go. Okay, so now we've got this lead slinger in front of us. Can you give us a little kind of testing, uh, taste testing experience behind this? Well, you remember last last week we were drinking a scotch, right? Um, and I, you know, we spent several minutes talking about uh, all the different flavor profiles and everything we found in there. But I don't believe we're going to have to spend as much time on this one. Okay. Um, it's what I'm getting here, and, and we sampled this a bit earlier, uh, and it's it's quintessential bourbon. You're getting that that oak oak feel from the, uh, uh, of course, from the the white oak, the virgin oak barrels, and you get that hint of vanilla. Um, oh yeah. It's it's light for a bourbon. It's got a, it's got a good nose. On it, uh, but it, you know it just falls off the back end. There, there's not there's not a lot going on here, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's a very simple bourbon, but it's good at what it does. It's very drinkable, very friendly. 
Well, Brad, I believe you should always take a good look at what you're about to drink. It's not so important to know what it is, but it's sure crucial to know what it was. That's a fact. Brad, besides the good taste of Lead Slinger, what makes this your choice of whiskey for Independence Day? Well, uh, as we alluded to a bit ago, America was founded through the blood of hard-fighting and hard-drinking men. Uh, these were the men who believed in freedom and good booze. Uh, and, of course, the early days of the American nation, the two were quite literally hand-in-hand. Hand. Mike, let me ask you a question. Do you happen to know what the very first tax ever levied by the American government was on? I, you'll just have to remind me in the point of history. 1791, the very first tax levied on the American populace by our brand-new baby government was on whiskey. Uh, so it's, we've carried this load for a while then, have we? We have indeed. Now, as I said, there's nothing more American than uh, a good glass of bourbon. The idea at the time was uh, Alexander Hamilton, whose idea was he had the idea to pay off the debt that we'd incurred after several years fighting the most powerful empire the world's ever known. He was going to create what he, what he deemed to be a, uh, a luxury tax. On whiskey. On whiskey. See, what he didn't take into account was all these Western farmers out on the, the west side of the, the Appalachian Mountains. Were Hamilton they, wasn't were, exactly... Were they actually brewing, or were they were doing that in the backwoods? Oh, they were distilling all over the country. Okay. Kentucky just Kentucky then was as big of a bourbon state as it is now. Actually, probably more so. But what... See, uh, Hamilton wasn't exactly a man of the people, you could say. Is it because he was taxing whiskey? No, it's because he was one of those rich boys from back east who just didn't really understand how the agrarian society worked. I see. What he deemed as being a luxury tax was actually a cold-blooded staple to those western farmers. See, cash was a little short that far west, especially after the Revolution. And in many cases, whiskey was... That was their money. That was a means of trade. They uh, they would pay their workers with a bottle of whiskey. So, in effect, what Hamilton believed was a luxury tax was actually an income tax that all these Western farmers believed was directed solely at them. And, of course, they didn't take too kindly to it. So, how, how if you think about it, they were paying off the workers with whiskey. Exactly. So, how do you barter? Well, that's a barter system. So, how do you tax that? Well, they had their figures. They could do it either on a flat fee or a percentage per gallon. Now, these eastern big, the big business distilleries, mostly, in, there was 125 of them just in Kentucky at that time. They had the means to uh, have a much larger, more efficient production, so they could afford to pay that flat fee. Where these Western farmers, who were just distilling their excess corn, barley, wheat, rye, that was just a few bottles to them, so the percentage was a much higher rate. They didn't take too kindly to that, and they started off America, <laughs> almost America's first civil war, as they believed that they were being taxed without representation thinking they were fighting for the same principles 
that they had fought in the Revolution. So really, the War of 1812 could have been over whiskey uh, before the War of 1812. Is that what you're saying? Because the Kentuckians... They were getting a little bit upset because of this, well, this by, tax. By that time, we had uh, we'd sort of figured things out on our own, and we were back to focusing on the uh, the big bullies of the of the Great Britain Empire again. But once things settled down, and we decided that whiskey was maybe a little bit more important to sitting down amongst our own citizenry, making good friends. Well, wasn't worth fighting a war over. You know, it sounds like America was really built a lot on whiskey and economics. That uh, it was. And I'm telling you that that it is uh, one of those stories that I didn't know, and I appreciate you bringing that to us. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit more. Uh, well, actually, what I'd like for you to do is just pour me another shot of boldness forged in the minds of the battle-hardened patriots. Uh, we'll gladly do that. All right, Brad. If Dodge City had a legendary story to tell about the 4th of July, what story comes to mind? My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mio. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. Well, back in those days, Mike, what they called it was the Glorious Fourth. Uh, well into the 20th century, that seemed to be the kind of the, their, their name for the Independence Day. The Glorious Fourth. And by God, Dodge did it right. (laughs) For several years, uh, of course, Dodge had been around for well more than a decade by this point, captured the national consciousness. Everybody in the country knew what was going on in Dodge City, or at least they thought they did, based on what they were reading in newspapers across the country. By 1884, however, there was a nasty rumor that was starting to spread people were starting to believe that Dodge was getting civilized. Oh, couldn't be. 1884? 1884. They thought things would, had tamed down. They thought you couldn't walk down the street with somebody else shoot, uh, shooting a hole in your top hat. They thought that the candlelights would go on in the evening, business would settle down, ladies and families would stroll to church together, and, and that, was, that was about it. That was a nasty rumor, and Dodge wasn't willing to put up with it. So what what they did is they decided that we're going to pull off the biggest show for the glorious fourth that Dodge City or the rest of the country had ever seen. All right, so how'd they pull that off? And, And, you know, it sounds like a good case of economic prosperity, and I've always thought that the the quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and to put it in your pocket. What do you think? <laughs> That's not the way Dodge operated. Okay, so they, they didn't think about folding their money and, 
and half and making prosthetics, they were thinking about something entirely different. Dodge was built with gamblers, and they threw all their money at one big bullfight. Oh. Well, they, bullfighting in America, wasn't that illegal? Oh, it was. It was. Even in 1884. Well, at least they claimed it was. Let me give you another, another shot of this patriotic. Right oh, top you off? All right. Here we go. Certainly the, uh, the Spanish style of bullfighting was illegal. And Dodge City, among its many nicknames that we've had over the years, was the gateway to the Southwest. Of course, in the early days, the Southwest, that meant Spain, Mexico. That culture has always had a very strong influence here. So serving up a Spanish-style bullfight in Dodge City in 1884 didn't seem too far out of the realm of possibilities. And it would, they knew full well, capture the national imagination. And it did, although they didn't quite know the backlash that they were going to get. So, first of all, i got to ask you, they planned this bullfight, 1884, on the 4th of July. What better way? Dodge City, bringing everybody in to celebrate this mm-hmm. bullfight. Well, who put all this together? Oh, the mayor, uh, A.B. Webster at that time, uh, started bringing in investors, uh, got himself actually a, a law firm to sort of put together all the legalities and organize with the uh, the Mexican company that would bring up the, the matadors. And they pulled together some $10,000 to pull this off. So that would hire and do what? What would that $10,000 do? That then? would build a brand new arena that would supply advertising and that would provide transportation for the the bullfighters all the way up from Mexico City. That would provide for transportation of the bulls that they had picked out. Of course, Dodge City was a pretty big cattle town. They were bringing in upwards of about 500,000 head of cattle just that summer. So, so they had their pick of some of the finest bulls that money could buy. So... Really, when you talk about economic prosperity, we what we're getting out of this here in Dodge City is a new arena. There was a lot of money in Dodge, and they like to show it off. So you got a new arena. You got bullfighters coming mm-hmm. in. You got who who was supplying the bulls at that time? Oh, several ranchers uh, all over. They brought them in from several different companies. Uh, of course, Dodge locals. Figured they knew uh, they knew cattle better than just about anybody on the planet. They handpicked each and every one of these bulls, gave them names like uh, "Oh, eat 'em up, Richard." Uh, now, eat 'em up, Richard. <laughs> eat 'em up, Richard. Eat 'em up, Richard. That don't sound like a bull. That sounds more like a tiger. It sounds terrifying, and that's what mattered. <laughs> well, wasn't that a names of one of the uh, legends in Dodge City? Eat 'em up. Uh, well, there was a shoot 'em up Jake. Okay. Uh, which might have actually been one of the bulls as well. I, I don't recall. Uh, Doc Barton was one of them, named after one of the cattlemen that helped supply the bulls. Uh, the names that they came up with were just... Yeah, but they uh, were made rip, up after rip, people... Rip, Riptailed Snorter was another one. So, yeah. <laughs> Riptail Snorter. Riptail Snorter. <laughs> you walk into a bull. You walk into an arena with a bull named Riptailed Snorter, and you better be expecting a fight. Well, I'm 
taking. I'm taking. It's so, all it's all advertised. Now, did these uh, Spanish bullfighters? Did they know any of the names of the bulls, or did they just come in here uh, not knowing what's going to happen? Oh, they knew exactly what was going to happen. These were well trained professionals. Uh, the governor of Chihuahua at that time was a w- widely renowned bullfighter. Uh, it was said that he could um, <laughs> he could step into the arena with the absolute best of them, and from as I understand it, he often did. Uh, one of the the leader of I believe it was five bullfighters that they brought up. The leader, his name was Gallardo. Oh, oh Gallardo! He carried Gallardo. he carried two swords, uh-huh. rumored to be 150 years old had belonged to one of his ancestors, who was a high-ranking official in the court at Spain. These were men of gallantry. These were men of professionalism. And these were men of style. Okay, so now how many bullfighters did they actually get to come down to Dodge? I believe they brought five. Five. Okay. So all those men showed up. They did. bullfighters showed up. Uh, what was the town like on that day, on July 4th? I mean, was it a recreation of the 1874, 1875 cattle drives? Was it wild and woolly? Any 4th of July in Dodge City was bound to be, shall we say, hectic, okay. at the, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, that was one of the few days, in fact, according to the early ordinances of Dodge City, where it was perfectly legal to carry and discharge firearms within the city limits. So, the others being Christmas, New Year's. So basically, when you think about it, uh, the streets of Dodge City uh, sounded like the 4th of July firecrackers going off. But what the citizens didn't know, those were pistols being shot in the air. Oh, I believe they knew it full well. The well glor- they did. Okay. <laughs> the, okay. Well, the glorious 4th was well done in Dodge. All right. Well, all right. Let's get, you know, we've got a city full of people. Um, we got an illegal bullfight going on. We got people selling whiskey. Uh, the bars are being uh, populated again. It's prosperous. 4,000 uh, people filled that brand new arena. 4,000 people. Well, you know, and part of this story, if I remember right, um, the, the, the attorney general did not like the idea of Dodge having a bullfight on the 4th of July. As as I started to mention earlier, there was there was a backlash, uh, even amongst some of the citizenry of Dodge City. One of the the local pastors publicly offered prayer that this stain of humanity would would be removed <laughs> from Dodge City. The, uh, a stain the, of humanity. The ASPCA was was a thing in the 1880s as well, and the the president. Of the ASPCA was writing letters actually to Governor Glick uh, of Kansas at that time saying, please don't allow this to happen. The The Attorney General letter that you mentioned, uh, he did sent, sent a letter to Dodge explaining why this is illegal in the United States. The reply that he received was that, hell, 
Dodge City ain't in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you mean who? Who apps? Who said that? I mean, who, who would dare to say that to the Attorney General? I mean, hell, Dodge City ain't in the United States. Almost anyone in Dodge at that time. <laughs> Whether that reply came from Mayor Webster himself, nobody really knows, but that was the sentiment of Dodge City. We're going to do what we want, and the rest of the country be damned. So, come high, hell or high water. We're going to put this bullfight on. We're going to put this bullfight on. Okay, so now we got to setting. It's now 4th of July. Let's describe the scene of the bullfight and what that looked like uh, on the 4th of July with 4,000 people sitting in the arena. Well, as many of our listening audience may know, southwest Kansas in July, it can get hot. Ooh, I can imagine. Especially uh, with a lot of whiskey drinkers up there. It's, it's <laughs> Could make a few people sick. It's a hot, hot day. The south wind is blowing over the cattle yards. So... It's a smelly day. Oh, yeah, you can't beat that smell. It's you? uh, you've got just hot, sweaty, drunken, excited, noisy, hectic crowd waiting for a bloodbath. And I bet Obesis Band is probably playing in the background. Somewhere. Oh, absolutely! They had just received brand new instruments that they were ready to play advertisements. It was it was a fiasco. It I say fiasco. It was a party. <laughs> it Four thousand people up in the stands. These bull, these these bulls, and then you got these matadors getting ready to come into the arena. That must have just been a sight to see. I can only imagine. I wish I would have been there. Uh, although reading the description of <laughs> some of the newspapers reporting on the people they saw who were there, saying after all, them people showed up to the bullfight. When they left, it looked as though they had may have been fighting the bulls themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what that would have been like in those oh, stands on I, that day. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the first bull comes out. Uh-huh. And he is everything that has been advertised. He's he, a mean one. He circles the arena. He makes his way right to the center of the arena like he's been trained. It's, it's like that a movie. Have, that must have been Eat em Up. It may have been. The, <laughs> we, we don't know the names that they came out in, in order. We just have the, the list, so to speak. But uh, I've always imagined that might have been Riptail Snorter. Oh, yeah. That's probably, that's because probably the one they had to come out first. That's exactly what he started doing. He started pawing that dirt the center of the arena. He started eyeing Matador Gallardo on one end. There's a cloud of dust growing around the bull, and he began to charge. He raced right at Gallardo. And it, it this... They said, call this a bullfight. A true bullfight is there's no real fighting involved. It is athleticism at its finest. So it's basically throwing a red cape out there in front of the bull. It's pure evasiveness. And then the bull's charging at the red cape, and he just gets pinged. You you or are pinned. <laughs> you, you are taunting that waves a, a bull weighing two thousand pounds more than you are essentially. 
And all it's uh, the horns on these guys, their paws. These are bulls that are whipped up into a furor, ready to kill anyone or anything that they see. So did and they, you are alone. Did they have the those little darts with them and they t- tantalized? Or? Not at this time. That comes later. Okay. So that he's just later. charging he, a matador with a red cape in the middle of the arena and uh, nothing he, to stick the bull with. He is evading this bull like nothing you've ever seen. It is just art of human perfection. So it's a dance in the arena. It, a dance. That is a... Wonderful way to describe it, actually. Crowd is just in an uproar. This is exactly what they came to see. Finally, they the matador's done. Gallardo resigned. They get the bull. They rope him. Of course, this is the time for the Dodge City Cowboys to show what they know how to do. They rope these bulls. They try to get them off in the arena, and this bull isn't ready to go. He still wants to fight. <laughs> so he's a pretty hot bull. And he's pretty mad. He is and just. He doesn't furious. want to leave the arena. Absolutely not. He's not done. He's, that that matador is still standing vertical. He wants he's to hook done. him a matador. And it just it didn't happen. They finally wrestled him out of the arena. They got him on. It's time to bring in the next bull. See what he can do. Well, unfortunately, bull number two doesn't quite have the fight in him that the first one did. He sort of circles the arena a couple of times and just, he's fairly disinterested, charges once or twice, uh, Gallardo evades, there's just, there's nothing much. They take the bull out, get him, they bring in another one. So the second bull then didn't really excite the crowd. Uh, no, no, the, the encore was not as great as the first act. Okay, so now we've got the third bull. Now we've got bull number three. And sadly, it's more of the same. He's just, he's not living up to expectations. The crowd is starting to get restless. They're getting quiet. And it, it's starting to get a mite awkward. Mm. They, so, they race bull number three out So right all quick. those tickets that they sold, they're worried now that they may have a disappointed crowd. They need to get the show back up to the way it started, and they need to do it in a hurry. All right. So what do they do? Next bull comes out, and it's no better. If anything, it's worse. Oh, no. This one actually gets hung up in the chute on its way out to the arena. <laughs> they... <laughs> The, the Cowboys are whipping it so hard, trying to get it out into the arena, trying to get it unstuck. By the time it gets out there, all it wants to do is turn around and fight the Cowboys that were f- forcing it into the arena. It doesn't care about the Matador. So maybe that's where the term came from, bull. <laughs> A bit bullheaded? You okay. could be right. Yeah, okay. You could be right. Well, the, the crowd is starting to get upset now. Boos are flying. Uh-oh. They're starting to be a chant among the crowd. They want that first bull to come back out. And they probably had a lot of lead slinger in the, in the crowd, and, and that didn't help things. That's what they it. were afraid of. Uh-oh. So you got guns, you got whiskey, and you got a poor bullfight going on. You've got an and irritated... Of, let me pour you another. You've got an irritated 4,000-man crowd that's drunk carrying guns. Mm-hmm. And that's just a recipe for disaster. We got to get that first bull out here and put on another show. Okay, so now we cycle back to the first one, which we think would have been. Uh, well, it could have been Riptail Snorter. Okay. That, I, that's what I like to believe. Okay. So Riptail Snorter comes back into the arena. Those swords you asked about earlier. 
Mm-hmm. This is the time for them to come back. Uh-oh. This, and this is the, uh, what, what many of the protesters were protesting, so to speak. This is when the matador shows off not only his athleticism, but his swordsmanship. Oh, boy. Not only does he evade the bull, mm-hmm. which he did with every bit of the skill that he did the first time around, but when that sword strikes home and the bull is dispatched, he's proven it's, it's man over beast, and he's won. And, of course, the crowd, they got exactly what they came for. The bull's down, man's triumph, just be- pump and circumstance right and left. Oh, my. Okay. So now the crowd's happy. The crowd is happy. They're cheering, and uh, they're just going, they're ecstatic. And, of course, by this time, the, the heat, the dust, the liquor, and it has <laughs> taken its toll. <laughs> so anybody at that point in time would be happy. Uh, they, they, somewhere between happy and, well, of course, they've just seen a, <laughs> a bull dispatched in arena, and that... If you're any kind of a human, that'll that'll take its toll a bit. Mm. So there was a yeah. mix between just jubilant folks going out and people that wished they hadn't to come. I wonder if that preacher was there. I somehow I doubt it. Mm-hmm. But well, I heard bet, about it later. Probably. I bet a lot of his congregation were there purely for research purposes. <laughs> Testing out the whiskey, I'm sure. More than likely. And, well, with that, of course, the uh, the governor of the state never did make it out. Oh, did uh, they invite him? Oh, absolutely. He was invited. Uh, and even though he was getting all these letters that asked him to, please, please, you need to cancel this. Don't allow this to happen. Uh, governor Glick had written to Mayor A.B. Webster and said, God, I'd love to be there, but I have something else going on that day. Uh, just one of those, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. One of those political things that happens with governors right. making excuses. Maybe it was just the travel by train. In time, well, it is a, a national holiday. I'm, at her, I'm, I'm imagine sure he had, he some, had a something political holiday to do. Yeah. speech to make. Could very well be. Yeah, yeah, already built. Okay. And the well, the reputation of Dodge City as a. <laughs> A city of brutality and excitement was once again secure. So, which was the goal? 1884, July 4th. What a wonderful day it was to celebrate the Grand Spanish Bullfight, never to be forgotten. And nothing like that ever happened in the United States except for here in Dodge City. In Dodge City. Well, that's it for now. Remember to check out our Wild West podcast shows on iTunes Podcast or at wildwestpodcast.buzzspotprout.com. We would like to conclude our story by thanking our sponsor, boothillproductions.com. And if you would like to sponsor our show, just send us an email at wildwestpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to always drink responsibly. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial License. You can learn more about the legends of Dodge City by visiting our website at theworldfamousgunfighters.com.